Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. My name is Clay. You know, I talk a lot about relationships and psychology, philosophy on this channel. So relationships in general is something I'm pretty focused on. Romantic relationships, friendships, family relationships, trying to like decode people a lot. And so as I look out at the world, maybe not the world, culture, my culture, North American culture, I live in Canada, Western culture, I guess. I just have this underlying intuition or feeling like there's something wrong with the way we define love. There's something wrong with how we define relationships. And it's something I've been interested in a while, trying to figure this out. You know, I talk to a lot of different people about their relationships. I'm always asking and inquiring. It's something that I notice and I'll, I'll watch, you know, Sam and a group of people, I watch how people interact with each other. And I find that quite fascinating at times because I, I see things that perplex me. I think it's the majority that aren't doing amazing and they're covering it up and they're hiding it and just putting on happy faces for everybody. Or maybe they have an effective business style relationship. They have a stable life. But the underlying love, the passion, the whatever love is, whatever that glue is that really attracts people to each other seems to be missing in a lot of relationships. So I was looking up on the internet, like how do people define love? Because I think the problem is, is that love can mean anything to a lot of different people. So what, what is love? Is love actions? Is love a feeling? It's just a feeling that you have inside. I've heard other people say love is a choice. There's obviously a difference between loving somebody and being in love. So what is my definition of like healthy romantic love? I would say healthy romantic love, first of all, requires intimacy, emotional intimacy. Does it require physical intimacy? I'm not sure. Some people seem to argue about that, but I think at the very least, there has to be emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is a sense of under, like you feel understood, you understand this other person, you feel listened to, you feel, and then all these things sort of come together into a trust between the two people. Do you trust this person with your emotional state? I feel like if you have a deep sense of emotional intimacy with somebody, there's this emotional closeness. I feel like in order to have real romantic love, it has to include some component of emotional intimacy. So I think the second part of healthy romantic love is a sense of freedom. So freedom is the opposite of control. I think there's a lot of people out there controlling the other person, controlling their relationship. There's all these rules, guidelines. It's almost like they're forcing things onto people. I think all these things have to be freely chosen for it to even mean anything or be real. So if somebody claims to love, but yet their love looks more like control, and it's sort of anchored in this sense of duty, you know, I would question whether that really is love. Um, so I would say that looks more like a business relationship. And so this sort of raises the underlying conundrum for me. It seems like a lot of relationships are based heavily on control, duty, and obligations. It's like, here's your job. Oh, you love me? Okay, well, here is your job. However, all these things that people define, they don't seem to have anything to do with expressing healthy emotional intimacy. It seems to be a lot of duty-based things. So the interesting thing about control is it's only control if somebody is forcing you to do something or asking you to do something. 
sort of against your will and you don't want to do it. Um, if you freely choose to do that exact same thing, then it's not control. So I think that's the really intricate thing about this, is that people will look out, they'll see something, it's sort of like a fruit on a tree, and you can't really see the underlying motivation of that. Is somebody doing that because they're forced to do it? Well, then they're actually being controlled. Or is somebody doing that because they are choosing to do it and they want to do it as an expression of love? I think the problem with control in relationships is it seems to me like culture is often the thing that is doing the imposing. There is a lot of stuff in culture that basically tells you if you get into a romantic relationship, this is exactly what it should look like and it should not deviate from this. There's all these people that are kind of the guardians of this culture and they are kind of enforcing the rules. And unfortunately, they seem to enforce the rules with shame and stuff like that which is not healthy in my opinion. So let's say two people meet and they decide to start a relationship. Culture will immediately start to impose rules on those two people. If you want to be respected and have this serious relationship, already there's gonna be a whole bunch of rules that are kind of imposed onto you that you kind of have to follow. So let's say time goes on, relationship gets more serious. There's a roadmap for relationships is basically what I'm saying. I think the thing about this whole process, this meeting a person, becoming exclusive, you know, getting engaged, becoming married, I think the problem with it is, is that at any given point in this process, can you really be sure why you're doing the things you're doing? Are you doing it because it actually makes sense and it's something that you want to do. It's an expression of your love. Or are you doing it simply because you have this feeling that it's expected of you and that you're kind of on this path and this is just the way it is. You must follow these steps in order to have a healthy relationship. The thing about marriage that I've always found quite interesting is you do this thing, you get the government involved, and the government even makes you say certain things. So I actually looked it up on the BC government website. So I live in British Columbia, Canada. So the BC government has basically what is defined, like what, what rules do you have to follow to get married? And they even put example vows on there. And then they bold the parts that you literally have to say in order to be legally married. And so I read through this. And I just thought like, how funny is it that we let the government decide what we say in these vows, like vows, right? Like, is, <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Like, what, I don't know, there's, there's, something, there's something that I just find that really weird. And I can't even really put my finger on why it's weird, but it's like, here's my relationship. Like, what does that have to do with the government? Why is the government telling me to say certain things? And so if I say those things and I do vows and I include those few sentences that they want me to include, am I saying that because I truly mean it? That I came up with it on my own? Or am I just saying it because, well, I have to, right? Like they're literally telling me to do it. There's, there's, a, there's a really subtle difference between those two things. And I think it has something to do with what I'm talking about here, this, this free choice versus control. All right, so here's a few questions that I have about love in general, romantic love. 
As I was growing up, I was kind of taught that love is a choice. And I sort of believed that all the way up until, kind of until my marriage fell apart, if you want my honest opinion, because I was always like, well, I might not feel love right now, but I can still choose love. And that's what I always told myself. And if you're in a, let's say, a bad relationship, I wonder if that's a bit of a comfort because it's sort of like, well, because it kind of removes the, the stress that maybe you don't have love. I think it's somewhat comforting to say, I can choose love. Is that really love? That's one of my questions here. Do we even choose who we love? Or is love just something that happens all on its own? That's my first question. I guess my second question is, do life partnerships have to be based on this romantic love? You know, if you look into the past, it was clear that no, they weren't based on love, like arranged marriages. Marriages were built based on practicality or aligning two clans or two kingdoms or families. And a lot of it was to do with, you know, uniting these groups of people for, why? For, for protection, because bigger groups of people that were deeply united in some way with blood, that's a, that's a safer environment for human beings to live. You know, in our world today, especially Western cultures, we don't really have that same, it's like, we don't have that same fear that we need to build alliances in order to support our safety. So maybe I'm not gonna marry my daughter off to somebody from the neighboring town just for an alliance, right? But back then, people did that. So it was very clear that relationships weren't based on love. But then, you know, the people who say you choose love, you can choose to love somebody, will come along and say, yeah, but there's an arranged marriage, um, and if the people choose to love each other, then it'll work really well. And I don't disagree with that, actually. I feel like, I feel like there's these two sides to it. So you could be business partners with somebody. Let's say you start a business. You don't love them, but you could have a very effective partnership. It's very stable, let's say. You're, let's say you're intellectually matched and you have good ideas for each other. You can run this business or run a household or run a life. You have kids and you provide this stable environment for them to grow up. And I get the feeling that a lot of people think that is love. That is enough. I don't, I don't think that is. I don't think that is love. That's something else. That's a business relationship. And this elusive thing called love is something outside of that, is my feeling. And so I'm trying to figure out exactly what that is. So touching all that, my third question is basically, does it make sense that we expect love to come along with practicality? So if you look at marriages, in most of the world probably, at least in like Western cultures, it's assumed that you love the person and it's practical, right? Well, what if you just have this passionate love for somebody and, but really from a practical standpoint, maybe you're not really good for each other. Like, is that love? Or what if you, you know, don't feel any passion, you don't feel any sexual attraction, but they make a good business partner, is that love? I guess my, my, question, my main question with that is, why do people naturally assume that those two things go together or must go together? 
So in the past, I don't think those two things were together, even in religion. So if you ask any religious person, and by religious I mean some kind of, you know, they have some kind of belief in God or belief in the scriptures, Christians, Muslims, etc. They will have a, they will generally define love and relationships how their communities define it. Like there's, if you go to church, there's very clear rules on what makes a good Christian marriage. And if you are a devout Christian, it'll be very hard for you to decouple from that. Like you can't exactly define your own definition of romantic love apart from that without, you know, without it being obvious enough for people to start shaming you, right? So there's, there's all those issues. If you want to actually be part of these groups, it's going to be very difficult to define your own thing. But here is the funny thing about that. If you actually look into the Bible, like let's just look at King Solomon, or let's look at King David. King David, they, he's actually called in the Bible the man after God's own heart, like considered one of the great men of God. You know, if you look it up, he had multiple wives. That would not fly in today's Christianity. I, like if I was a Christian pastor, I couldn't go out and get three wives right now and basically be okay. Unless I define my own like, you know, special sect of Christianity. But you know, you look at King Solomon, that guy had 700 wives, 300 concubines, I think. So basically he had a thousand women. I don't even really know how exactly you have a relationship with a thousand different women at once. Obviously today, if a person who defines themselves as a Christian went and got 700 wives, I mean, that's ridiculous. So I wanna read something from Alan Watts. If you don't know who Alan Watts is, he's this guy that was really active in like the 1960s and 70s. And I think for his time, he was quite a forward-thinking person. Uh, he talks a lot about relationships and philosophy and stuff like that. And a few years ago, I went on this big Alan Watts kick. You can go on YouTube and type in Alan Watts, and a lot of these recordings, audio recordings of his various lectures are recorded. And there's a whole bunch of different topics. And I kind of jive with a lot of it. So I want to read something from Alan Watts here. And this is basically Alan Watts on marriage. So as I read this, I'm going to try to decode it a little bit, maybe try to simplify the wording because he's quite a poetic person. So this is how it starts. As for marriage, there is nothing wrong with it except the legal institution. So right off the bat, I think it's interesting how he's framed it. He's basically saying, well, there's nothing wrong with marriage except the legal institution of it, which is sort of getting at what I've been talking about so far. Like, there's these rules and you know, guidelines that exist kind of outside of us that are kind of telling us what to do. And now we've even taken that further into governmental rules and regulations. The natural event of a man and woman living in constant companionship with or without children is an admirable arrangement which works to the degree one does not insist that it must work. So I find that statement fascinating. How many people do you know that are in the relationship and are insisting that it must work. In general, that seems to be what a marriage is. It's basically saying, here's a relationship and now we're gonna insist it must work no matter what. And you know, if you've 
survived 40 years of marriage, we're gonna, we're gonna get you to stand up and we're gonna clap for you. And you've survived it. You know, we're not, we're not even gonna look at how close your relationship is, how well it's doing. The fact is you've survived it and that deserves admiration. So I, I think this is sort of going against that and saying it's an admirable arrangement which works to the degree one does not insist that it must work. And so he goes on here and does not treat one's partner as property. How many people do you know that treat their partner as property? I feel like the way I was raised in the Christian environment, there is an element of property that kind of goes along with it. People are not totally free within marriage. So, you know, he's saying these things quite simply, but I feel like there's massive implications to a lot of this stuff, which is why I think it's interesting. So moving on. Whenever I perform a ceremony of marriage for personal friends, I give some discourse as this. What I am about to say may at first sound depressing and even cynical, but I think you will not find it so in practice. There are three things I would have you bear in mind. The first is that as you now behold one another, you are probably seeing each other at your best. All things disintegrate in time. And as the years go by, you will tend to get worse rather than better. Do not, therefore, go into marriage with projects for improving each other. Growth may happen, but it cannot be forced. I think that's sort of a long way of saying, don't expect to use marriage to improve your relationship. If your relationship is 100% good and healthy when you get married, that's probably the best state to be in but you shouldn't be going into marriage expecting it to fix the relationship. I, I wonder how many people do that. Um, they're like, well, this person's acting a little sketchy, but if I can lock them down into a marriage, things will get better. It's basically what he's saying is, you know, don't expect that. The second has to do with emotional honesty. Never pretend to a love which you do not actually feel, for love is not ours to command. For the same reason, do not require love from your partner as a duty. For love given in this spirit doesn't ring true and gives no pleasure to the other. So I find this interesting because it is immediately kind of rubbing in the face of the whole you can choose love opinion. He's basically saying love is not ours to command. It sort of is there and if you fake it, it's not real. It seems like he's saying you can't really choose who you love. Don't force the fruits of love if you don't actually have it or feel it. The third is that you do not so cling to one another as to commit mutual strangulation. You are not each other's chattels, which means possessions. And you must so trust your partner as to allow full freedom to be the being that he and she is. If you observe these things, your marriage will have sure ground that can be afforded by any formal contract or promise, however solemn and legally binding. See, this last thing is basically freedom to be yourself, which sounds nice, right? People go, oh no, I give my partner freedom. But do you really? like? Does this person truly have freedom to be the person that they are in this relationship? I suspect that, see, this is one of those things where I, I don't think in the classical definition of marriage, 
according to our culture, that this is happening. So one thought that I have after reading this is I suspect that a lot of people think that the process of working on a relationship is the same thing as choosing love. But what I suspect, and what Alan Watts seems to think here, is that choosing to work on a relationship doesn't create love. Love is there. Let's say you love a person, and now if you work on the relationship, it's almost like improving the love or cultivating the love. And I guess the underlying question of this is, let's say you don't love somebody. Can working on the relationship, let's say you go to therapy, couples counseling, does that create love or does that just create a better business relationship? I think what Alan Watts is sort of getting at with this statement is that maybe you aren't in control of love as much as you think you are. So the underlying question I have about all this is, let's say in your long-term committed relationship, this is probably the type of question that a lot of people don't want to ask and they don't want to talk about. They don't want to admit this. What happens if you're in an okay relationship? It's not bad. It's not great. Maybe the passion is sort of missing. You know, you're stable. You're good business partners. And then let's say, however it happens, you meet somebody else that kind of triggers this feeling of love. I guess in order to think that's possible, you first have to believe that love is more of a feeling and something that pops up or happens. You know, Alan Watts has this other thing where he talks about what is, like, what is falling in love? And there's this element of the fall. It's like this loss of control. You know, we don't say rising into love. We say falling into love. It's like we've lost ourselves. We're... We're out of control and we've fallen down into this state that we almost maybe would like to control but we can't. I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable with this question. Can that happen while you're in a stable relationship? And if it happens, what should you do? Is it better to deny yourself that feeling and treat that like that's bad? Or should it be embraced? And you know, obviously, um, a lot of people probably are not going to like, like that I said that. And I'm not saying that it should be embraced. I'm asking questions, right? You know, what would the world look like if we were okay with that? Would that work? So I want to throw out an example here that I saw. There's this show called Manifest. Okay, so here's the premise of this show. It's kind of, kind of an interesting premise. These people go on a vacation. They're down in like somewhere, somewhere warm. And they're flying back to the States. When they're on the plane, something happens to the plane and it literally disappears for five years. But the people on the plane just, it feels like they're going through a storm or bad turbulence. And then eventually they come out of the storm and they're trying to land. And the air traffic control is like, we don't recognize you. Who are you? Because basically the plane's been missing for five years. But to them, the people on the plane, it, no time has passed. So eventually they land. You know, everybody thought they were long dead. They've been gone for five years. And it's interesting to see, it is, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment what would happen. So one guy, one of the main characters, he goes back, you know, his, here's his wife and his, he had one of his kids with him, but the other kid was now aged five years. Was, they were actually twins, which I think is even funnier. 
So now one twin is five years older than the other twin. So his wife, in the meantime, had got a boyfriend, maybe a couple years before. I mean, she thought he was dead. And now this new boyfriend has a relationship with the daughter, and she almost sees him as a bit of a father figure. And now the husband's back. And you know, the way he was acting felt immature to me, but I could also tell that the writers wanted me to believe that his behavior was totally justified, and I didn't. And so that's one of the funniest thing that happens for me when I'm watching movies or TV shows. I can tell what the writers want me to feel, but I don't feel that. And then it creates this really awkward situation where it completely removes me from the story because I'm like, this, just, this is stupid, right? This doesn't feel authentic to me. And, you know, here's this husband acting really unreasonable, like, well, it's either me or him. He's got to go. And it's like, buddy, can't you realize the nuance of this situation? You were gone for five years. Do you really want to force her to make a choice, this black or white choice, because it's possible that she might not choose you. That's the real, the real truth here. Can't there be a creative third option? Is it not possible? So going back to the whole control issue, there's something that Alan Watts says that I always kind of liked, and it's a little poetic and abstract, but if you like that kind of thing, um, maybe you'll like this. And it's this concept of if you hold your breath, you will lose your breath. And it's a metaphor for control. If you try to control your breath, it's like, oh, I'm gonna breathe this in and I'm gonna keep this one. I'm keeping this breath. If you hold your breath, you will lose your breath. The only way that you can keep breathing and remain in this healthy state is to breathe in and breathe out. And it's this metaphor for control. Let it go and you will get it back. Let it go and you will get it back. You know, what if we treat relationships like that? Let this person breathe. Let this person be who they are. Let them explore ideas without the threat of you leaving. So I think something that illustrates this is that if you actually look up the stats, there's a comedian who actually did a whole thing on this. You know, people fantasize about the death of their partners. Sounds horrible, right? But a lot of people do it. And if you actually ask, even people in healthy relationships, healthy relationships, they, at some point, if they're honest with themselves, have maybe fantasized about what happens if their partner dies. Because why? Why are they doing that? Why are they fantasizing about that? It's because that represents freedom. And I guess what I'm asking, my, my underlying question, without really knowing the full details of the solution, is, is it possible for us to get our freedom back while remaining in a committed relationship? What does that look like? Um, I know that some people immediately will say, well, you know, multiple partners is the solution. You know, is that the solution? I don't know. Is it possible to be an exclusive relationship while being fully free? And you know, sometimes I wonder if just the fact that we can't do something makes us want it. It's like, imagine if someone said, you can never eat ice cream ever again in your life. And let's say you didn't even really like ice cream. 
it's almost like after five years, 10 years, 15 years, you're like, ah, oh, I wonder what ice cream would taste like, right? If something is our free choice, I feel like it means more. That's why I really like this one line from Alan Watts. For the same reason, do not require love from your partner as a duty. For love given in this spirit doesn't ring true and gives no pleasure to the other. If you're not freely choosing it for yourself, then it feels like a prison. So here's a few things that I want people to understand. Just because you stay in a bad or a mediocre relationship doesn't mean you've chosen love. It means you've chosen practicality and stability over love. And just because you have a practical and stable relationship does not mean you have love. Like I said at the beginning, emotional intimacy is the key and the core of a relationship. Do you feel understood? Do you, do you feel accepted? Do you trust this other person with your emotional state? If the answer is no, then I feel like you don't really have real romantic love. So I think the thing is, is I don't really have a lot of conclusions here. This is sort of a discussion video. It's just sort of throwing out some ideas, asking some questions. I'd like to figure it out. And maybe there's other people out there that are interested in this. So let me know in the comments, like what, what kind of videos do you guys like to hear? What's your favorite topics that I bring up? Like, is there anything in particular that you'd like me to dive into more? Anyway, thanks very much for listening. I appreciate you guys a lot for being here and hope you have a great day. See ya.